And maybe you're asking, uh, you know, but what is it specifically that I need to do as a, um, a spiritual parent? What is really the role of a discipler? Hello and welcome again to another session in our teaching series, which we've titled A Band of Disciples. And we're looking at how we can equip one another in getting better at being disciplers, people uh, that are able to help others to live for Jesus wholeheartedly and to multiply a certain type of person in the world, the ideal human being, which is a Christ-like person, a Jesus-like person in day-to-day activities. And we mentioned that this series, uh, we're using, you know, the musical type of metaphor to suggest that uh, becoming a disciple uh, is, is not much different from becoming a musician. You don't become a musician because you read a book or you've done uh, some practice. You see yourself as a musician and uh, you learn what you need to do in order to live that out. And when you're stuck with what you're doing, you begin to think, what do I need to know in order to support me in living out this whole concept, this whole image, this whole desire of being like Jesus in the world? In order to help us with this uh, amazing calling and commission that that God is given us in Jesus, and to uh, you know continue the advancement of of the discipleship movement that Jesus established on planet Earth two thousand odd years ago, we have been looking at the discipling calling uh, in in uh, you know the previous few sessions, and we're going to continue to do that for the next few sessions. Then we're going to look at another category at the discipling community. And finally, we're going to conclude our teaching sessions with a group of teachings on the discipling competencies. Uh, So far, we've been looking at the role of a discipler, uh, being a spiritual parent, just like Paul was the greatest discipler who lived out his calling as a spiritual parent. We notice that just the concept of being a discipler or a spiritual parent can uh, provoke within us a a sense of inadequacy or self-doubt. And we looked at how Paul found his confidence in God uh, in that particular role. And maybe you're asking, uh, you know, but what is it specifically that I need to do as a, um, a spiritual parent? What is really the role of a discipler as a spiritual parent? Because you and I know that lack of clarity uh, and specific understanding of the role can create a lot of tension for us internally and externally. You know, if we don't know uh, what the role entails in a position, uh, we don't know if we're ready to do that role. In fact, if we get the role, we don't know uh, whether we're doing the right thing. There is no parameters to our role and that can create a lot of tension. And if we don't know the specifics of the role, we can also uh, find ourselves uh, wondering if we're hitting the mark. Are we actually accomplishing the targets that we're supposed to accomplish? Because I don't know. And we also don't know uh, whether 
we should or um, you know we can improve if there is no particular specific tasks and 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 raw clarity we can't really what we're we going to invest in in order to get better at what we're doing and you've seen that potentially in your workplace. Uh, in fact, in any group environment, uh, we, we understand that lack of raw clarity can create a lot of tension because, uh, you know, uh, uh, people can uh, step on each other's toes and people can feel undermined or betrayed because somebody isn't doing their part of, of the deal. So even uh, in group dynamics, they tell us uh, if you want to uh, perform as a good team, you need to norm, you need to have clarity of experience expectations and clarity of roles and that is exactly what I experienced in 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 one ministry uh, context where I served as a pastor in fact it uh, took place just before I was appointed as a pastor in a particular uh, a church in Melbourne Australia and um, uh, just before I was appointed uh, two leaders, two worship band leaders were were appointed to replace uh, past leaders. The past leaders actually had relocated to a different suburb and, and a different church. So their vacancy was, was given to two uh, band members that now became uh, band leaders. And before I even officially took on the role, I was getting calls from two, um, you know, two teams, I guess, who were opposing one another. A team who, who is totally against the two uh, people that have been appointed as the worship band leaders and others who are in support of those people. And, and it was just overwhelming that the first thing that I had to deal with uh, was a group of people who were uh, not so harmonious with one another. And, uh, you know, they would, the oppositional team in particular would say things like, they don't have the musical talent. Uh, you know, they, they, they won't be able to lead the team. Uh, they don't have leadership capacity. And it was a significant team. I, I don't know, maybe 30 uh, uh, or 40 uh, members on the roster. I, I can't fully recall. Uh, but they didn't feel like they had the competencies either as musicians or competencies as as leaders uh, to, um, you know, uh, be able to live out their calling as band uh, leaders or leaders of that worship band. And uh, one of the most scathing criticism that the oppositional team used to bring to my attention is that there was no due diligence in the process that was conducted. There was no clarity of the role. There was no interview process, recruitment process. So based on what were these two people appointed? And I would love to tell you that we had a, a great discussion. We brought both teams together. We clarified roles and expectations. And it was amazing as Christians would envisage, you know, God came through and, and we had a, a wonderful united team at the end. I wish that was the case. I'd imagine God would have loved that to be the case too. But the opposition continued and got harsher and nastier over time. And it turned into personal attacks and and. and, and maneuvers and manipulation you know, extended beyond the worship team into other areas of the church. And it was quite uh, you know, hard to, uh, to, 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 to live with until those people actually, uh, those two leaders actually departed the church eventually after several years of very uh, um, a hard task. And they weren't able to prove their, their ability because they had oppositions from uh, day one.
And the entire problem, uh, if you ignore the uh, potential um, you know, lack of chemistry between those two groups or, you know, other envy or jealousy that was at play. I don't know. Uh, but uh, ultimately, there wasn't a good process to ensure that there was clarity overall, uh, recruitment based on those criteria, and therefore the person is able to demonstrate, uh, you know, what they were recruited to do. And the same thing, the same tension, the, the same difficulty uh, could happen for us as we begin to engage in a discipling role. We need to have clarity. Otherwise, we, we, we're stuck thinking, you know, am I doing the right thing? Can I do better in one area or can I, you know, maintain my investment in this other area? And that is so critical in every experience of a discipler to have some understanding of what God would have us do as disciples, as spiritual parents, as people who are caring for others, encouraging, urging, and supporting their spiritual development. So in our teams, we suggest that there are three categories, and there are many, many tasks. You could write your own list, and I'm sure it's going to be just as valid and just as helpful, as long as you write it down. The point is that we sometimes follow vague expectations and that's the reason for the lack of clarity. So we write for our team uh, based on what we've learned uh, previously from people who discipled us, based on our own experiences and our research and reading, and based on seeing others uh, in our team discipling others and doing an awesome job at it, we can categorize it based on three uh, primary roles or three primary tasks of the role of a disciple. Number one, they model a possibility. They model a way of life. That means they show what it's like to live like Jesus. You know, have you ever heard, uh, just like Jesus said about the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do. That is very hard. I recall even being a teacher where there were lectures about being, uh, you know, collaborative learning environments, like how to help people learn in groups and interact with other people and, and how to engage in a social environment. But the lecturers would talk at us, say, you must have collaborative learning environment. It's like, uh, what you're saying and what you're doing is uh, there is disparity there. It's, it's a bit, it lacks a bit of uh, uh, authenticity. So we, we, we need to, if we want people to live out a certain type of lifestyle, to be a certain type of person in the world, we need to model that. We need to show what that looks like in practicality, in, uh, in, in flesh and blood, just like Jesus came to show us what it's like to be the image of God. And to live according to the image of God, he came and embodied the character and nature of God. And he came in his humanity and embodied what we could become by the empowerment of his spirit. So the first thing is we model a way of being in the world. We model a reality of being a certain type of person. Secondly, we teach a pattern. So people realize that it's what, you know, this is what it's like to be a healthy individual, for example, or a fit individual. And we'll leave them, we'll leave them with that desire and that inspiration, but they need to see some practical steps so that they can be just as fit and just as healthy as you and the model that you have portrayed for them. So you say, this is the type of uh, diet that, I, that I'm accustomed to. This is the type of exercises that I, uh, that I do repeatedly. And so on. They need a map 
to not just to see the end, but to understand how to actualize that desire in practical day-to-day activities. And we need to engage with them in partnerships. Because imagine you say to somebody, hey, see this amazing fit and healthy lifestyle that I'm currently leading. It's invigorated me. It's giving me energy. It's giving me sharpness of mind. I am able to interact with, with my family in a, in, in a really uh, beautiful way. I'm able to run with my kids. I'm able to engage with my sporting activity uh, if I'm at uni or at school or whatever it might be. And here is the type of diet and exercise regime that I've been implementing and you go do it. Well, what about once they start implementing these things and realize it's not as easy as he made it seem. <laughs> and along the way, we go through what we call the implementation dip or the early blues where we fall on our faces and say, this is not going to work. You tricked me. You sold me a program that doesn't work. What are your you know, shortcuts to get there? But imagine if we say, and I can come alongside you and help you to get there. I've been there. I know what it's like. I can stand with you, help you, strengthen you, encourage you, challenge you. And, and, and that would give such, uh, you know, such confidence to go on the way. So that's roughly our very simple model to help people engage with others in discipling relationship. And it has produced unbelievable results. Over the next few sessions, I'll explain to you that we sing fifth generation multiplication where somebody disciples someone in group, that person or group of people discipled others in group who actually discipled others in groups. And now we have uh, people who are discipling others in groups as well with the same uh, type of model because it's reproducible and simple, but it's authentic. It's not just giving people some sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, a program, a curriculum and say, you, you go do it on your own. So I want to spend the next few minutes just showing you that that actually has a biblical precedent, that there are some evidence to this particular model in discipling others. So you're not just taking our words for it. And I want to bring to your attention one of the most profound discipling relationships that we read about in the New Testament. It's not necessarily a group, even though it must have been done in a group environment, but it's been between Paul and Timothy. We read in 2 Timothy 2.2 that Paul says that what you heard from me in the presence of others like Paul, and there is the presence of others, uh, he's saying, give that to reliable disciples who will disciple others also, so we can see the context of multiplication happens in a social environment. But I just want to focus on Paul and Timothy for a moment. Obviously, in Acts chapter 16, we hear about Timothy, uh, you know, encountering Paul, and Paul calls him his genuine son in the faith. It really means that, um, that Paul adopted Timothy as his spiritual son and Paul became his spiritual parent. You know, you know the lingo now. He's his discipler. And, and, and Paul invested so much. He was his, uh, Timothy was his uh, uh, travel companion. That means he partnered with Paul. He was around Paul in a, in a prox, uh, proximal way. Uh, Paul uh, invested in him, taught him sound doctrine. Then Paul actually enlisted him in different ministry projects, not only with Paul in the mission field, but Paul would send him to Thessaloniki, to Philippi, uh, may it even to Corinth, we, we, we know, and in, in one 
in, in one particular time, Paul sent him to Ephesus. Uh, because Ephesus was experiencing a, 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 a you know, time of conflict where there were some uh, false teachers who were uh, confusing the believers. And Paul sent Timothy to refute the false teachers, but also to encourage the church and to build them up and to develop them to be the type of people that Paul desired them to be, Jesus-like people. So in his first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul, uh, which was probably written around mid-60s, Paul writes to Timothy advising him how to enact this discipling role, this teaching role, this investment role. Just like Timothy was discipled by Paul, now Timothy needs to disciple other people. And he gives him uh, um, a very simple instructions that have those three categories that we mentioned about the role of a discipler. So uh, allow me the privilege of sharing those with you briefly. In 1 Timothy Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and we're going to read uh, over this uh, session to uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And it starts by saying this, Paul saying to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Did you notice that? Paul is saying to Timothy, set an example. That means exemplify the type of lifestyle that I exemplified for you, which is the type of life that Jesus exemplified for me. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me like I imitate Christ. So he's saying, I want you to show off uh, in a good, humble way, obviously. I want you to show what it is like to be like Jesus in the world. And he says here, he says, you're going to be example to the believers. That means you're going to help them see what they could be like in speech and conduct. And most commentators help us see that the speech and conduct is a summary of life. What you say and what you do, how you live your life, your manner of life. Uh, in love, in, in love to God, in love to other people, in faith, in your uh, faith in God and faithfulness to God, in purity in your inner life. It's an all sphere of life and in, in loving relationships with other people, uh, either Christians or non-Christians, in your relationship with God of trustworthiness and, 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 and reliance on God and impurity in your inner life. So Paul is saying to him, resemble what it's like to be like Jesus in the world because people can read a book, but it wouldn't make sense to them until they see it embodied in real life because you could say, Man, what are you talking about? I couldn't really live the life of Jesus in my own human weaknesses and my current circumstances. And, and you know what it's like to be a human. Yeah, it's not possible. And Paul would say to Timothy, show them what it's like to be authentically Jesus-like person. Not a perfect example, but an authentic example, just like Paul was an authentic example to Timothy in the way that he lived. When we show people the type of life that God has called us to live, we embody for them their own possibility. Can you see that? We can be a mirror that shows them what they are capable of becoming. 
We can show them the trajectory of, your, of their future. We put before them uh, you know, an image that they can desire, an image of being like Jesus. Just like a fit, healthy person can portray an image that I desire. Because friends, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. We are driven by a desire of a preferred future of being something that is not yet. So if that's inspiring, it creates passion. We become passionate people, not just rational people. Passionate for a good thing. Passionate for the image of God, right? So uh, Timothy was supposed to show them what the image of God looks like to be their mirror. And we'll talk about that in more details in our next session. But we model the possibility by living out what it looks like to be like Jesus uh, you know, to be a, a person that is, you know, uh, living the life of Jesus so that others could see their own possibility. Then uh, Paul instructs Timothy with the second aspect of the role as a disciple. He says to, to him, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And just briefly, I want to interrupt my flow and just say, have you noticed here again the social context in which uh, 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 Timothy was developed? He says, you know, the gift that you received uh, through prophecy when the body of elders... That is a group of people laid their hands on you. It wasn't just simply Paul and Timothy. It was a community because there's the role of God, uh, you know, who gives supernatural gifts. There's the role of the believer to receive and, uh, and, to, and to live out that gift. There is the role of the discipler, uh, who, who is uh, Paul in this case with Timothy, but there is also the role of the community of disciples who, uh, and disciples who are uh, a discipling community who are around Timothy. However, let me go back to the second role. So if the first role is to model a possibility, the second role is to teach a pattern. And here there is threefold aspects of that role or that task. Number one, public reading of Scripture, where the Scripture, like the days of the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, the Scripture was spoken out loud. The, the scripture was read to people because most people didn't have, you know, physical, um, you, you know, they didn't possess the physical scriptures. Uh, so it was read to them. And most commentators tell us that in the reading of the scripture, the question that was being answered there is, who am I? Who am I? The scripture was telling those uh, hearers who they are, existential question, and what they are here for. So by reading the scripture, it was painting an image of who they are and what they would become as people united with Christ. And this is also written elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where as we look in the Word of God as our mirror, the scripture, we become transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We see a desired image in the scripture of who we can become in Christ, who we already are, 
because he's united to us and who we could become if we collaborate with the spirit. So here, uh, you know, the scripture shows them the possibility, just like Timothy models that possibility. But then he says there's another two uh, parts to that, preaching and teaching. Preaching is simply means an exhortation to live a life that is aligned with the scripture or live a life that is aligned to their identity. And teaching speaks of the doctrine, what, how to think. So if preaching is about how to live uh, your calling, how to live your identity, how to live the image in real life, here the teaching is more about how, what you know and how to think. So if my, if my uh, desired outcome, my end product is to be more like Jesus as the scripture reveals, then I need uh, to actualize that, to live that out in practicality. And that happens as I interact with, um, you know, the, the, the teaching, uh, sorry, the preaching, which helps me know how to live out that uh, reality and also the doctrines and how to think about God and think about myself and think about others and think about the world. So there's how to live and what to do and how to, to think the doing, the knowing, which is encompassed under the banner of who I am as the scripture shows it. So in simple ways, we actually become, uh, uh, you know, the type of disciples when others invest in us and teach us a pattern that's based on our identity. It's based on our identity. We teach and coach and guide the disciples to improve their skills and knowledge consistent with their identity and calling. So yes, we help them with teaching and preaching and whatever else to help them in their doing and in their, in their knowing and their skills and in their thinking capacity. But all of that is consistent with their identity, the desire to be a Jesus-like person. The final bit, that Paul instructs uh, Timothy to do. He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Per uh, persevere in them because if you do so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And what I grasp from uh, these instructions by Paul, he's, uh, he's instructing uh, Timothy to live in such a way, not just to teach a sort of doctrine, but to live in such a way that people around him will see his life and ultimately will be impacted by it. Because he's saying that if you do so, if you live in such a way, you will impact both yourself and your hearers. I don't mean you will say because you're not Christ, but you will help build them in their salvation because salvation is also a process of living out what God has placed in our heart. It's, uh, it's past when we are justified uh, by uniting to Christ. It's future when we'll be glorified as we're transformed into the image of Christ. But currently we are sanctified where we lose the power, where we conquer the power of the flesh and of sin by the power of the Spirit of God. And we live in such a way that also is like we are being saved. 
life. So uh, Paul is saying to, 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 to Timothy, you're going to impact people's life uh, with Jesus, their, their actualization of what they have on the inside because of their unity with Christ. They're going to actualize their potentiality. You'll be able to do that if you live in such closeness with these people. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Treat a father, treat a mother, treat a sister with all purity, treat a brother in such a way that shows a familial, uh, like a family-like experience. And what are, what are family? Family are together. Family love each other, not because of performances, but because of the reality of the blood they share. They have a connection that keeps them together. And Paul is saying to Timothy, if you're going to partner with people, you need to begin to live like a family around them. And this is the third approach. We engage in partnerships. We walk closely like a family alongside the people that we disciple and be available to support, to encourage, and to challenge them. Like we need to be available, we need to be supportive, and we need to challenge them so they could live the life that is worthy of their calling. And here you have it. The life that we are called to live as disciples, God is asking us to model, show them what it's like to be like Jesus. Teach them how to live that pattern, how to behave and, and how, what, how to think so that you can actualize that based on your identity. And finally, engage with them. Don't just send them away and say, I'll pray for you, but actually walk with them. So how do we live out the role of a disciple practically? How can we model and teach and partner with people? I'm glad you asked because that's exactly what we will address for the next three sessions by God's grace. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus. Thank you for watching.